0: listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit UpperRoomFrisco.com. If we, uh, if we just major on one thing, we're going to be good. We can just major on the love of Jesus, the nature of Christ and his works. I think I think everything's going to work out. Um, it makes me think about Paul, who has like, this incredible gift of revelation and can teach on just about anything. Um, Near the end of his life, he said, I've I've just resolved to know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. And it's kind of like that, one of those moments where like you meet someone famous and they're like, and you ask them, hey, like, what's your secret? You know, why are you able to teach like this? Why are you such... An apostle, and Paul is sent, like he's giving us the inside scoop. He's like, if you just if you just look at Jesus, you're going to be good." <sighs> he's our foundation. Um, recently, Ashley and I we uh, my name is Jeremy. My wife's name' is Ashley. We have four kids. This is our home. I'm really glad to see all of you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> recently, we bought a house in Farmer's Branch, and um, <clears throat> and it's it was built in like, what was it, 60, 60-something, 60 and so, you know, there's home improvement projects, which I enjoy doing, and one of them is uh, the laundry room has this linoleum floor, you know, it's one of those brilliant ideas from the 80s, and um, and I, we wanted to tear it up and put down a, a, new, a new flooring uh, and just like really spruce up like a mudroom situation. And so I'm, I'm ripping up this linoleum and tearing out the, the baseboards and stuff like that. And I discover things that like wouldn't surprise any builder. Are there any builders in here or like remodelers? You know that when you strip a house back down to the foundation, you are probably like 90 something percent of the time going to find something funky. Well, I found like mold and rotten uh, footy, like foot of the two by four footers and stuff like that. But I was getting back down to the foundation. When I pulled up the linoleum, there's still all this glue and paper stuck to the concrete. At this point, you're probably wondering, Jeremy, what in the world are you telling us this story for? But (laughs) I'm getting there. And the only way, I wasn't going to, like, get on my hands and knees for, like, three days and scrape off this glue that was stuck to the concrete. So I go to Home Depot, where they have a tool rental place, and I rent a hundred-pound floor stripper grinder with this giant bit, like, and, and it takes two guys to load it in the back of my Suburban I get it home, and I, I was just one guy at this point, and so it kind of fell out of my Suburban. Um, <laughs> and, <clears throat> I mean, you guys should have seen me trying to handle this thing. It was like one of those times in my life when I w- was wished that I was 50 pounds heavier because this thing is tossing me around the room, and I, like, slammed it through a couple walls, a couple <laughs> I mean, just went right through the drywall. <laughs> I mean, no one looks at me and thinks that guy could really, like, win a cannonball competition, you know? <laughs> Seesaw contests and cannonball competitions are not my jam. Um, so I was just getting back down to the foundation and, um, and realized that, you know, there's, there's stuff there that shouldn't have been there. And... Um, When I was praying about what to talk about tonight, I felt like the Lord said, just get back to the chief foundation, the chief cornerstone, our foundation, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, um, you know, as a teacher, uh, in prophetic and charismatic type churches and circles, there's a little bit of a pressure to have like the newest, coolest, most cutting edge you know word from heaven, like this is what the Holy Spirit is saying today in Frisco, but I felt like the Lord is like bring an old world, an old word, so it might not be cutting edge but hopefully it is double edged <laughs> um, <clears throat> a few weeks back um hats he he said that we should um you know go back to the basics, which I love doing that stuff, and so um, there's nothing more basic to talk about than um, uh, the incarnation. The incarnation is not a flower that you give your mother on Mother's Day. <laughs> the incarnation is uh, God becoming flesh and and dwelling among us. That word "carn" is is same as like carnal. And Cheryl pointed out, it's where we get carne, which is meat in Mexico. Ay, 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 hallelujah. Carne asada tacos. Um, Preach. (laughs) That's the one amen I've gotten so far tonight. When I talked about tacos. (laughs) I also thought that it was prophetic and apt that we sang such old worship songs tonight. Like, we went back in time tonight, didn't we? <laughs> Matt Re- I think that none of you guys were alive when Matt Redman wrote that song, Better Is One Day. <laughs> it's so awesome, but like, I just felt like everything tonight was about going back, and even that vision, now that I'm thinking about it, about the Lord saying, you like, let's renew our vows. It's like going, going back to the basics. So I want to talk about the beauty of Jesus Um, If you haven't met him face-to-face yet, take heart. Jesus left us someone who would lead us into all truth, and his name is Holy Ghost. Uh, Jesus actually said, it's better that I go, because when I go, you're going to get him. You're going to get the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, a lot of times uh, I find myself, like, jealous of the disciples because they got to walk with Jesus and, like, see these great miracles and stuff. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You're, you're going to have all of God. Like, you're going to have the kingdom dwelling in you. Like, you're not going to have to elbow your way through a conference crowd of 500 hungry charismatics to get a front row seat. Everyone has a front row seat to Jesus now. And, and he would say things like, you don't have to look over here or go over there, because I tell you the truth, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Shaba. <laughs> <laughs> and this Spirit will bring to remembrance everything that I have said. That's John 14, 26. Jesus says, this, the, the Spirit shall testify of me, John 15, 26. The Spirit shall glorify me, John 16, 14. Holy Spirit is known as the Spirit of Christ in Romans 8, 9, and 1 Peter 1:11. And the Holy Spirit, he does all sorts of amazing things. He's a multitasker. He teaches, he comforts, he guides, he, he counsels, he convicts. But ultimately, number one, he loves to reveal Jesus. We get to look at him. Like this message of just look at the Lord is so simple and sometimes like really offensive to our minds. Or maybe like you're really lovey-dovey and soupy and you're like, yes, I just love to look at Jesus. But like think about that message when Moses had that message. You guys remember when um, all the Israelites were getting, they were getting bit by poisonous serpents and it was incredibly painful and like deadly and and they're crying out, what are we going to do? And Moses asked the Lord and he says, raise this kind of serpent. On a stick and tell everyone just to look at him. Could you imagine being Moses in that moment? And you're like, "Uh, Yahweh, are you sure we don't have like a first aid kit, (laughs) a snake bite kit, anti venom? I mean, you're gonna, you want me to stand up in front of a nation that is tormented by like snake bites and tell them I got your cure? Just look at this. And Jesus. He's known as the serpent who is lifted up in the wilderness. And when we look at him, every poison that has infected our soul can be drawn out. Everything is pointing to Jesus. If you want some, like, really thick, good chapters about the nature of Christ. Colossians 1 and 2, for that matter, are amazing. Hebrews 1 and 2. If you just want to like really meditate on like the person and work of Jesus, you can get lost in those chapters for years. Um, one of the verses is Colossians 1.16. It says, I love this, talking about Jesus. This is the famous chapter where it says, all... All the, the, the fullness of God dwelt in bodily form in Jesus. He is the exact representation of the Father. And then it goes on in verse 16, it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. That might be NASB. I was just reading from NIV. Both are good. Um, two things I want to take note of here. Um, in him, through him, and for him. In him, through him, and for him. That means that everything that God dreams up fits inside the person of Christ. In him, all things were created. And that also means that everything that God can dream up was created through Christ. Like he's the the paintbrush that paints creation into, into existence. And it also means that everything that the Father, that Yahweh, has dreamt up is for the Son. It's for Jesus, in him, through him, and for him. He is not just a message. He is the message. The second thing that I want to take note of in this verse, this chock full of revelation, is that um, there is an unseen realm. Everything that is visible and invisible has been created by him. And then it it goes on to talk about things that are invisible. Invisible. These thrones, these rulers, these authorities. The NLT, uh, NLT translation puts it like this. Uh, through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Why is this important? Now, I don't want to like dive off in, in, into the deep end of the unseen realm here. I just want to make a, a really important point is that Jesus didn't just come to redeem us to friendship with God. He simultaneously, at the same time, completely dethroned and took the authority of every one of the villains, every one of our enemies in the unseen realm. It actually says in Colossians that he stripped them naked of their power and paraded them through the heavenlies, making a public spectacle of them. See, the good news is like multifaceted. There's just like so many branches of his goodness. This one message of the good news is that he has, he has redeemed us. He stood in our place. He, he disarmed every one of our enemies. He, he showed us the Father. And not only did he show us the Father, he showed us what humanity is supposed to look like. I've heard incredible sermons on all sorts of awesome topics that I don't want to downplay whatsoever, but you can find them. They're everywhere. There, there's, there's topical teachings on, um, on morality and, and ethics and taking over Hollywood and trying harder not to sin and everything in between. And some of these are like really helpful, but I think that a lot of these issues would become non-issues if we majored on this one thing. If we get wrecked by Jesus' love and lit up by the knowledge of his nature, a lot of these sermons we just laugh about. And we can say like David, I've become obsessed with one thing. I just want to dwell in his courts. I just want to see his beauty. Can we just do that? Can we just get back to that? David, I can just see him. I can see King David, like, assaulted with the affairs of being a king, you know, and all of his counselors are saying, well, what are we going to do about this? What about that? He's like, can I just get back to the one thing? I just want to look at him. Just pause, 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 pause. Let's get in the tabernacle <laughs> and worship and look at him. This is why Upper Room ministers to the heart of God through worship and prayer. It's because we have seen him and we want to see him more. See, there are things that we get about God through singing to him that we will never get through thinking about him. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the brain. You can be completely intoxicated by the intricacies of his glory when you just like are pulling apart the goodness up here. But... Singing is like laughing. It's like it bypasses the judgment center, the front desk of our brain, and like runs into the CEO's office. <laughs> it goes like if you're, it's like singing and laughing. You're like, whatever he's saying, I'm, I'm into, you know? And, and it goes straight to like becoming part of our identity when we're singing, you know, holy, 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 holy. Instead of saying, like opening up books and reading, what, what is holiness? Let me just think, like, both are good, but when you're singing, you're holy, 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 this Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You were, you are, and you always will be holy. And it just starts to opening, open up a whole new level of reality. Jesus is God's revelation of himself to us. The incarnation has some beautiful, majestic mystery to it. Because the son is uncreated. He is from of old. He has no beginning and no end. He is Alpha and Omega, the son. But his body, like his incarnation has a start date. The Virgin Mary knows this very well. Like, he <laughs> he showed up on the scene as one of us at a specific date, some 2,000 and some change years ago. But he will not have an end. This incarnation will not have an end. Uh, last week, I think, no, two weeks ago, Corey Russell mentioned how, like, he's not... He's not like like turning back into like the original thing that he was before he became a baby in a manger. He is forever in the form that he wanted to be, and and I say wanted. We have this idea; it's true. Like in Colossians, it says that Jesus humbled Himself, taking on uh, our form, but. Um, the Lord showed me that was more of a stepping down. It wasn't a, a regretful or like, oh, I got to take a lesser form. It's that he was in, in some ways actually excited about becoming just like us. And I was like, I, I mean, the, the Lord showed me this one time. You can take it or leave it, but this is what he said to me. Again, this isn't in the Bible. This is Jeremy on like a prophetic bunny trail with the Holy Spirit. He said to me one time, like I I was looking forward to it, because there's no better place in all the universe to experience the love of the Father than in a human frame. He so perfectly designed us to shake at the power of his word and yet not explode like the oaks and cedars of Lebanon. The word of God that thunders and hovers over the water finds its resounding board right here, better than anywhere else in all of creation. And, and Jesus, take it or leave it, he's like, I'm, I'm excited about experiencing that. See, Jesus didn't just descend from heaven as a full-grown man, and he wasn't born a full-grown man. He was born just like us. Hebrews 2 says, "Since, since we share in flesh and blood, he too took on flesh and blood. He was made like us in every way. It's really important that he was made like us in every way, because I mean, there's many, many reasons why it's important, but one I'm thinking about in in Hebrews 2, one that's a very important reason is that as a man, he went into the grave. (laughs) So that through him, he would destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is Satan, and free everyone who through the fear of death was held under his power. So a man went into the grave and came back to show us that the grave will have no power over humanity from now on. So he was born just like us, a tiny, cute, diaper needing baby. He was just like us. Uh, In in Luke 2.40, it says, The child Jesus grew and became strong. And this, this one is even more of like a, a wig flipper. It says in Luke 2.52, he grew in wisdom, stature, and favor before God and man. So he grew in wisdom and then stature and favor between, before God and man, which means that um, as a child, just like the rest of us, he had to learn how to human. He probably hit his thumb with a hammer on his first building project. He probably spilled the goat milk because he's he went through a growth spurt and his arms were all gangly, like a. <laughs> Seriously, he's just he's just like us in that respect. He grew in wisdom, stature, and favor. And so he had to learn how to. Wisdom is skill at living. It's not it's not sinful to be unskilled at living. Does that make sense? He never sinned. He never had a a deficiency. God doesn't look down on immaturity. This should be really good news for us. He's not looking at us like an angry father saying, yeah, it's cool that you're crawling, but when are you going to be walking? Jesus took his time growing just like us. A really important aspect about the the nature of Christ is um, the virgin birth. The virgin birth is really important um, for at least three reasons and I, I'm going to go through those Reason number one is that salvation must ultimately come from the Lord, and so Jesus wasn't born in the conventional way he god God is the one who initiated God is the one who set these events into motion because salvation has to come from the Lord. And at the same time, he's fulfilling the prophecy, his own prophecy, for, uh, back from the fall in, in Genesis 3. And it says that the seed of a woman will crush the serpent. And so it's both, it's God and woman. Another reason it's really, the virgin birth is really important is because it's the only place where you could have a union of full deity and humanity and one man. See, it would be really hard for us to believe that Jesus is human if he descended from heaven like Loki from the Avengers, you know? We'd be like, you're nothing like us. (laughs) And... On the the opposite note, like we wouldn't believe that he was God if he was just if he was born of normal of a of the seed of man and and the egg of woman. He's not the seed of man and egg of woman, he's the seed of God and egg of woman. And have have you guys ever thought about like the fullness of God and, and like all all the power and fullness of God in a microscopic seed? It's almost like it gets easier to believe it as he gets older, right? (laughs) Like the the more miracles you do, the more I'm into it. But like a helpless, microscopic seed that fertilized all of God is in that. Side note: I felt like this might be healing for someone. The Bible doesn't talk about female fertility because in those days they thought reproduction, they they thought of reproduction in the same way that they think in like agricultural terms. That if you plant a seed in the ground, then uh, if it doesn't grow, there's something wrong with the soil. But in the Bible, they they didn't. They just thought that um, if there's seed, then the problem is always on the woman's side, and that's why you only hear about women being barren in the Bible. No one ever thought that there may have been a, another problem going on. Um, so anyway, <laughs> back on track. Um, the third reason why um, the virgin birth is really, really important is because um, it <laughs> this, is, this is a cool little medical fact. Did you know that there's no blood passed from the mother into the embryo, into the, into the egg? Any nurses in here know that? Anybody else ever heard this? This is really cool. Look it up. Um, the, the entire circulatory system, the whole blood system, is created after fertilization, which means that there was no, the, the, like the, the sin line, the blood sin line from Adam is interrupted because the seed of God is the one that created the divine blood. See, the incarnation is the permanent union of God and man. This is really, really important. This is why there's no longer anything that can separate us. Romans 8. <laughs> it's not because we did something, it's because it's entirely because He did something. And religion exists because of the idea of separation. It's the the idea that if we can do a few more things, then we will get closer. We will close that gap. But the message of Jesus is that he got so irrevocably close that we couldn't do anything to get any more close. Trying to get away from him when he dwells inside you is like trying to run away from your own kidneys. (laughs) Does, you can't escape your skeleton. <laughs> and we have this religious idea that if I could just escape the flesh a little bit more and get into the spirit realm, then like, I'll be more acceptable to God. But that doesn't make any sense. There's a big problem with that because Jesus, who was perfect in his spirituality, left the spirit realm and got in flesh which means that right here, right now, we can experience the goodness of God in this room. They were singing it tonight. You're already here. I don't remember exactly what they were singing, but you're already here. You're already here. You're already here. Your presence is you. Your presence is you. Right now, in this moment, with our bad breath and muffin tops, we are intertwined. (laughs) Eternally intertwined (laughs) within the Trinity. Like the relationship that the Father and Son enjoy, that is our relationship to be enjoyed. His imputed righteousness and identity is ours. We are so wrapped up in that divine romance It's going on right now. That's why Paul would pray things like, I just wish the eyes of your heart would be open because then you would realize where you're seated. If the eyes of your heart were open for a split second in a meeting like this, it would be a bomb that went off because someone would realize the glory that is in here already. We ourselves are not God, newsflash. Nor are we, like, extensions of God. We don't command the cosmos. We just don't. Most of us can't, like, clean our room and do our taxes in the same month. Like, we do <laughs> <laughs> But by grace through faith, Jesus has made us into new creations in which the Spirit dwells. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are distinct. They exist of their own volition, but they are unified. The Lord is one, but he is also distinct. Distinction with, with unity. Um, sometimes they're actually so distinct that they usually fulfill different roles, but that doesn't mean that there isn't often like overlap of the roles, for instance, the Holy Spirit is known as like the Counselor and the Comforter, but Jesus did a lot of that too. And it's not like the Holy Spirit like interrupted Jesus and said, mm, "Excuse me, you're supposed to catch them and I'm supposed to clean them." Like, <laughs> like they are just into it. They're into like they're into humanity. <laughs> I got my wife. You know, it's good when you get your wife of eleven years. She knows all my laughs, all my jokes. <laughs> Um so Jesus was made man but he always existed. You might run into a few Christians who believe that Jesus um uh before he was born in Bethlehem he existed as the holy spirit. That is not true. Um it's actually a a uh, <laughs> it's not a good doctrine. I don't like to throw around the word heresy or anything like that, but it's called modalism. And it says that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can take three forms, but rarely, if ever, simultaneously exist. It means that like um, they can pick one at a time. Like, you can't, you can't have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing at all the same time. That's, that's the false idea that is modalism. And it's pretty easy to prove that it's false because Jesus, when he's baptized in the Jordan, the Father speaks from heaven, Jesus is present, and then the dove descends on him. Okay? And it's not just that verse. There's, there's a bunch of others. Um, like, Jesus is praying to the Father. Um, He's saying that he's going to the Father. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Many, many more. They all exist all the time. <laughs> um, sorry, I, we're, so, I don't say sorry. This is, this is important. These are just basic doctrines of our faith. And so I want to go through a few of the ways that we have gotten off the train tracks Uh, as uh, generally, globally speaking, as the church in a few areas. Another silly idea is that Jesus became God in the River Jordan at his baptism. It's kind of like there are people who think that Jesus was just this normal dude who got really woke. (laughs) Uh, um, (laughs) Like this moment happened and he like became God. Um, It's silly. It's very, very silly. Uh, It's called adoptionism. Another silly idea Um, is that Jesus was just, he was a spirit being walking around, uh, and they say, people who believe this say that Jesus just appeared to be a man. This is called docetism. It's also where we get Gnosticism. Um, It's a byproduct of several silly ideas, one of which uh, being that God is too holy to put on a stinky, lowly human body. rife with limitations. I'm glad I wrote rife. Um, (laughs) It's like, God's just too, he's too awesome. He's too holy. I just like, I can't believe that he actually became fully man. Well, he did. He is, and he will ever be. Um, John, the apostle, preemptively shoots this idea down and even takes it a step further when he says, Jesus came in the flesh it actually, that word "flesh" is sarks, which isn't even human. He he didn't say Jesus came as a human. He said Jesus came as gelatinous sarks, like a muscle. <laughs> and then he he, in the, he like immediately says anyone who denies that Jesus came as sarks in the flesh is of the antichrist. It's really important that we just like. And, and, and it's just full of glory. Like when we just get to the, uh, these deep revelations that he is fully human, just like us. Um, here's another one. Jesus didn't go in and out between two natures. He didn't like pick when he was going to be man and when he was going to be God. It's not like a Smeagol Gollum situation, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is called minifesitism. Um, it's real simple. Jesus never needed reintegration, inner healing, deliverance, ministry, okay? There wasn't a battle (laughs) going on between the, the nature of man and the nature of deity. He is the fullness. The fullness of his deity is as important as the fullness of his humanity. If he's not fully God, then he can't really save. And if he's not fully man, then none of us have been saved, He didn't just show us the Father, he showed us what it is to be human. See, we've been living way below our manufacturer grade. I felt good to say that. He's actually created pathways from the heavens that only come through humanity. He created Adam and Eve to rule a planet. He said, this whole thing, it's yours. I'll help you out if you need me. Like, the commission, the great commission is a co-mission. If we have trouble putting our faith in God, think about the faith he put in us. And rest on that for a few days. Here's another one. Uh, some folks started a rumor that Jesus just had the mind of God, but he had the emotions of man. This is Apollinarianism. Um, it's just the idea that emotions are gross, and we need to escape them. They're like this lesser part of humanity that we just have to like beat into submission. When God created emotions... He is very emotional, like the Father right now. He's anointed with the oil of joy above all of us. He is acquainted with grief. Jesus, in in John 12, said, my soul is troubled. He said, I'm troubled in spirit, in John 13. Matthew 26, 38, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. Jesus even marveled. He was like delightfully surprised, which is cool. When you think about what he was surprised at, it was the centurion's faith. He looked at a man and marveled. It's really cool that we can impress Jesus. Like, that's awesome. He's like, I know you had it in you, I just didn't know you'd access it right now. Like, you know? Like... <laughs> he wept with sorrow at the death the death of Lazarus. And this isn't like this, Jesus is like not saying, and now I will show you that the Father has compassion by weeping. <laughs> and like, he's not like summoning tears to teach us a lesson about God. He this is important like he has like emotions. He gets wildly excited. He gets super sorrowful. He has the full gamut of perfect emotions. Did you know that emotions are another way that lead us to God? With loud cries and tears. Jesus prays. He had to have a genuine human nature to be tempted because God can't be tempted, and Jesus was tempted in every way. This is really mysterious. He was tempted in every way, just as we are. This is Hebrews 4.15. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, which means that his Emotions, his hormones, the synapses firing off in his brain are just like ours. He was tempted to disobey his parents, to cheat on tests at school, to be cranky and short tempered in the morning. He was tempted to dishonor and bad mouth government leaders. He was tempted to stand against and rebel against religious leaders or talk bad about them behind their backs, he was tempted to lust after women, to lust after men, to lust after wealth, to lust after power. He was tempted to beat up people who were being jerks. He was tempted to covet the lives of other people who had it easier than him. He was tempted to reject people because he got rejected a lot. He was tempted to give up on people who continuously failed him. He was tempted to be impatient, to not trust his father, and to take matters in his own hands. He was tempted in every way. He walked the earth with a heart like ours so that we can walk in heaven with a heart like his. He probably had a... I mean, if there were, he would have had a favorite sports team. You know what I mean? Like, and when they scored, he probably would have rejoiced greatly. Behold, the Lord doth thou rejoice greatly. <laughs> the Bethlehem Tigers have scored again. Um, <laughs> there's, but Guys, there's this Christian sentiment that says that emotions are bad, and the soul is this messy place where evil abides, but that cannot be true. In third John, verses one two, it says, "Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good and good health, just as your soul, prospers, your emotions." He is really interested in your emotions prospering. Cody got the word for us tonight when he when he said the Lord wanted to do some deep work in our emotions. Many of us are not prospering and not healthy because we've ignored our souls. We've ignored our emotions and the soundness of our own mind. When bad things happen, we force ourselves to not feel bad because we're Christians. When good things happen, we refuse to celebrate because that's not humble. We sideline our passions and our hobbies because they're not as holy as other things in our minds. He didn't, he regenerated you. He regenerated us. We are new creations. He doesn't just live in our heart, he's become our heart. And many of us are suffering because we've been treating our heart poorly. And it's him. He's in there saying, When are you going to minister to your heart? When are you going to minister to me? When are you going to do the things that bring you life, the things that fulfill you? When are you going to pursue that desire that I placed in you from before the foundation and find me in that desire? There's so many burned out Christians because we've just ignored our souls. All right, back to Jesus. Guys, I've gone through like six pages of notes. Um He is 100% God, and he is 100% man, and he will be so forever. This is called the hypostatic union. Guys, say it with me. Hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. Now y'all know a theological term. (laughs) I'm sure you knew a bunch. Uh, He's not just God coming to bring us back to himself. He is also the man in whom all this reconciliation is worked out for the entire human race. See, every false God, every demonic power wanted us to give our life to them. There was only one who said, You can have mine. Yours is broken. Take mine. See, I don't have any problem with us inviting Jesus into our heart as long as we realize that he already invited us into his. And the life that we now live, we're living in him. It'd be like, I've got an eight-year-old son, um, his name's Judah, and Let's say Judah has a friend coming over to the house to play with him, but Judah hasn't gotten home yet himself, and the the kid's mother drops off this this boy. Let's call him Billy. And Billy's there, and Judah's not home yet. Well, I'm stranger danger. Like, I've never met this Billy. I'm like, who's this kid that is in my house? And then Judah gets home, and, and, you know, I see... You know, an hour later, Judah comes running around the corner. He's got some superhero outfit on, and Billy's right behind him. He's got a different superhero outfit on, and Judah's got a big old lightsaber, and the kid behind him has some sort of weaponry, and they're coming at me. I know what's happening. They're they're going to unleash all of their playful, like, vengeance and violence on me as a fa- in a father-son situation, and we tumble to the ground and wrestle, and Judah's hitting me with a lightsaber, and this kid is trying to bite my ankle, and I'm, and I'm like, who? But I, and I think to myself, who is this kid, Billy? <laughs> How does he know that I'm a safe Father? See, the older brother, Jesus, went running to the Father. And we can be hot on his heels, knowing that we can wrestle, we can love, we can get twisted up in that father-son rolling around on the floor bromance. Like it is now ours forever. We are irrevocably intertwined in the romance of the Trinity. Let's stand up and pray.